This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me across the way is Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, welcome back. The NFL Draft is now in the rearview mirror. Now we turn our attention to Dynasty Rookie Drafts making sense of what teams did in the NFL draft, bringing on great guests from the industry. We will continue wire-to-wire coverage here at Saturday, Sunday, probably for the next two months, breaking down everything that transpired this past draft weekend. How are you doing now that the draft is behind us? They they say um, NFL teams get a Super Bowl hangover, right? I I feel I've got the NFL draft hangover. Just uh, one chaotic you know, four day weekend, really, if you go all the way back till Thursday. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you uh, jumped on with me that first night to do the recap pod. And, you know, that was really the most explosive of the days. And not just because it was like the premier draft picks, but really because those trades, right. And then like things kind of settled down on the trade front on, on Friday and Saturday. And we just got back to draft picks and, you know, a lot of offensive skill players went off the board and, you know, I know a lot of people you were just saying off air that you're ready in the midst of a, of a rookie draft. So I know a lot of people jump right into their rookie drafts as soon as the NFL draft concludes. So we always like here at Saturday, Sunday to kind of put out there our initial, you know, first thought dynasty rookie rankings. I know I've, I've been working on it and, and making changes, you know, literally by the minute, every time I rethink of something, you know, I, I kind of make some changes to it. So these are just Basically, these are just like, for me, it's like version four already, but for our listeners here, you know, in terms of just the podcast, this is basically version one of this. There'll be a lot of discussion, you know, on here about changes and updates. And obviously, if you get the rankings notebook, you get both Jeff's rankings and my rankings updated continuously and constantly. I know as I do drafts myself, I feel like that kind of helps me sometimes solidify my rankings when I'm actually on the clock and forced to make decisions. Uh, you know, it's easier said than done when you're when you're trying to do it without a team and everything behind you. So we're basically just, you know, generalizing this for, you know, not a team that's in dire need of one thing or something else, you know, so it, it's, it's not a one size fits all. It's, it's not all that different than when we talked about the positional dynasty overall rankings last summer when we did it, you know, obviously team makeup and stuff. Are you looking to win or, you know, are you just collecting the best talent? Like obviously a lot goes into making rankings. So this is just basically, our initial thoughts, you know, in terms of ranking these these rookies, you know, for Dynasty and for your Dynasty rookie drafts. So, Jeff, why don't we get right into it? I'll share my quarterback rankings. We'll uh, I'll pivot to you, and then we'll kind of talk through some of the things, uh, you know, from the quarterback position that I think is a little bit unique. I, I, I can't remember here at Saturday Sunday having a post-draft, the, the quarterback conversation being as unique as it is for this one. So for me, I found that I found the quarterbacks to be really tricky. So the way I ended up ranking them here is, and I've said this on Twitter, is that I still have Malik Willis one, followed by Kenny Pickett two, Matt Corral three, Desmond Ritter four, Sam Howell five, 
and then round it out, you know, it's Skylar Thompson. Uh, we can go Bailey Zappi and Brock Purdy, but I mean, really, it, it's those first four guys. Then maybe Sam Howell and Skylar Thompson. You know, we're talking super deep leagues. Maybe those guys get drafted. But I've got on record of saying, if you're in the two quarterback league, if you're in a super flex league, if you're in need of a guy to play at the quarterback position this year, then 100% Kenny Pickett needs to be your first quarterback. For me, I I did it as if I don't need him to play right now, whether it's a one quarterback league or maybe you have depth, even if it's in a two quarterback or super flex, I still want to pivot towards the upside of Malik Willis. I do believe he's going to get his opportunity in Tennessee because I think that AJ Brown trade kind of signified they're, they're going to at some point kind of hit the reboot button, whether that's another year of Derrick Henry. And after this year, they'll see what happens. And I have to imagine Tennessee is going to take a big step back without A.J. Brown this year. So I kind of could see them hitting the reboot button at the end of this year and Malik Willis get an opportunity the following year. And I still think he could, at bare minimum, fantasy-wise, have a Jalen Hurts-like impact. And I, I just struggle with Kenny Pickett. I think he could be a functional NFL starter. But even what we saw with Mac Jones this past year, I'm not sure Mac Jones is ever going to be a really fantasy, you know, guy in terms of consistent week to week viability. Just like Andy Dalton was, you know, was never more than like a QB two, besides like maybe one peak year in Cincinnati. Uh, I kind of think that's who, you know, Kenny Pickett's going to be. So that's why I'm not really excited about him. But if you need a body in, in two quarterback or super full, super flex leagues, I get having him, you know, at the at the one spot. For me, Corral and Ritter is something I'll probably switch a lot. I actually somehow have less faith in Sam Darnold than I do in Marcus Mariota. Maybe it's Arthur Smith and creating a system that Mariota looks functional in. So just because I slightly liked Corral a little bit more, you know, he was my QB2 and Ritter was my QB4. And I think there's a chance that Corral gets on the field quicker. And the fact that he has at least some weapons in Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore is why I chose Corral over Ritter. So that's where I kind of stand. I'd love to kind of hear yours and kind of hear your thought process in, in how you went about ranking those guys. Yeah. And, you know, I, like you said, these are rapid reactions, right? I, I we're, these things are going to change quite a bit over the next week as we settle in. And I fully expect to be flipping a few here with, uh, as we banter back and forth and, and make some of these arguments for and against. So, um, I, you know, I'll probably be a little bit closer to consensus where I have Pickett as my my top overall quarterback. And I think the, the one and only in a tier it's the first round draft capital. It's the weapons around him. You know, I, I liked Mac Jones more than I like Kenny Pickett, but you know, I don't, I think if you look back on last year, um, the, the people drafting Mac Jones would not have called that a wasted pick. Right. You know, I think they're pretty happy with, you know, even just having a locked in kind of QB two for, you know, what looks like, you know, a pretty decent, period of time we'll see what happens as he goes to the you know off his rookie contract and and what new england chooses to do but you know i think that's what you're seeing with pickett is is four years of you know quarterback or well point guard kind of quarterbacking out to you know deontay johnson out to claypool we got pickens in there now Najee, and and it's just that you know immediate production it's always hard to commit yourself to you know, a guy that's going to sit on your bench for a year, maybe two years and just kind of be a name on the bench that, you know, prevents you from doing other things. Um, I'd be more willing to, you know, 
pick up uh, Malik Willis in like a taxi squad league and those deeper leagues when you're really able to, you know, when, when everything, the waiver wire is bare and you're just really just looking to hit on that upside. Um, but right now he's my QB four. He's my QB four behind Matt Corral at two and Ritter at three. Um, because I think we'll see them at some point this year. And then at that point, you know, I think it's going to be very Jalen Hurts, Davis Mills kind of thing. Like, are you going to show enough for us to be one more year patient? I think it's extremely risky because the amount of draft capital invested as third round picks is minuscule. And the 23 class is a really good class. I just, I, I don't really have a lot of faith, you know, that, we even if we see them hit the field and do a little bit of something this year, um, I, I really don't have a lot of faith that they'll not be you know replaced a year from now. And so it's a highly risky situation and be one where if I did end up grabbing them in the second round of my my uh, super flex rookie drafts, I'd pretty I'd flip them pretty quick as soon as they hit the field. So so that kind of like. Those three are my tier two. And really, I understand taking a swing on Malik Willis if you're willing to be patient. Um, but just uh, it's not one that I'd put significant capital in. And then I put Howell and uh, Skylar Thompson and actually Carson Strong uh, signed as UDFA into Philly. And I think that that's just kind of with those other guys, an interesting fit for if the starter stumbles, what's going to happen? You know, Carson Wentz, Tua, and Hurts, you know, we're all waiting for them to take that next step. And if they trip, if they stumble, who's going to be that guy behind them? And and I don't know that Thompson or Strong or even how really have a good chance to to take it over. They're they're kind of that fourth round, you know, super flex rookie picks. But if they do, you know, if they become if they step in and show something, because I think we all like their talents at some level going into the draft. And so that's where I'm willing to take a, a swing on them is, is sort of one of your last later round super flex rookie picks. Yeah. I mean, I think you make a lot of great points there and a hundred percent, like, you know, Kenny Pickett has to be the, the first quarterback off the board for Pete, for anybody who needs a quarterback to play right away, anybody who needs one to be their backup this year. So if you're in a super flex or two quarterback league and you only have two quarterbacks and you know, you're thinking about those weeks that are buys. Yeah. Kenny Pickett's going to probably be starting either from week one or by week four. I expect him to be on the field and he's surrounded by good weapons, you know, so he'll at least be a serviceable guy in two quarterback or super flex leagues. I think where, you know, and all the other guys, even in Superflex and two quarterback leagues, I'd probably be very reluctant to even take them, to be honest with you, in the first two rounds, because you kind of just said it. Third round draft capital is things got to break really right for you to to get that opportunity. And you've right, made mention of how strong potentially the 2023 class is. So I just kind of think I'm out on this. Like I, I don't envision many scenarios where I have any of these quarterbacks on my dynasty teams. I just, you know, Malik Willis is a guy that maybe in a one quarterback league where I can stash somebody, I would just stash him because my one, my one less reservation. And I obviously still have reservations as a third round pick is even without AJ Brown, the Titans are going to be 
still a pretty competitive team. I don't think they're going to be the one seed. Do I think they can push for the playoffs? Yeah, I think they I think they can if Robert Wood stays healthy and Trey Burks gives them something this year. I don't think they're going to be a one or a two or a three seed, but could they be the six seed or the seven seed? I think it's at least in the conversation. They'll still find their way to seven, eight, nine wins, which means I don't think they're going to be picking their top of the draft. So I think Willis in that regard might have more of an opportunity than the other third round guys. The other guys though, I mean, you're talking Carolina and Atlanta could be two of the worst teams in football. So there is not, unless Corral or Ritter really show something, you know, there's not going to be a lot stopping them from potentially saying, okay, we have a top five pick next year. Let's take a quarterback, you know, that we like significantly more. I don't really, I mean, obviously Tennessee can do a big trade up, but but we know how hard that is, and especially a lot of teams seem to kind of punt this year at the quarterback position. So I think it's going to be very hard for a team in the 15, say 22 range next year to get to the top of the draft, unless you're like Philadelphia with two first round picks and, and other draft capital that you really can make some type of monster offer to. Uh, I think it would be harder for Tennessee. So maybe that, creates an opportunity for Willis that maybe he has a little bit more of an opportunity as a third round pick because they might not be picking up the top of the draft, but, but that's really just guessing it. And we're, we're really just trying to project now wins and, and, and what the team record is and where they're picking and stuff like that, which is a dangerous road to go down because we do know things change quickly in the NFL. Uh, well, I, I just want one last thought on, yeah. on Willis because like when it happened, I, when he got picked, finally his slide fell. Um, and I didn't get the chance to join you um, on the day two recap, but my first thought was, oh, that's a good landing spot. Like that's a good spot for him because when we, we talked about these quarterbacks going in, um, you know, going into the draft when we were like doing our prospect reviews, one of the things that we were saying was, you know, these, these quarterbacks could take uh, could take a year or two to sit and, and that would be the best thing for their development as NFL players. And I don't know that, getting forced into a starting role in Atlanta or Carolina year one is actually going to be, you know, the best thing for Corral and, and for, for Ritter, you know, do you see something like Drew Locke, right? Like where they, they come in, they, they flash a little bit and they flame out real quick because they've never, they haven't gotten the opportunity and time to develop the way that I think that the Tennessee Titans seem to really be planning and and that that's the biggest thing you have to be patient maybe even two years but i think the tennessee titans have a long-term plan in mind and and that's where i think you know they they might not be they're not the one they're not a team tanking they're they're a team planning for a good long future and that's where i do think you know it, it won't you won't see immediate returns but if we look four years down the line maybe malik willis is playing and and ritter and corral might not be yeah, I think I think those are really strong points, uh, you know, and that's something that you know we don't know, right? It, it's one of those things that's going to be interesting to kind of see uh, how it plays itself out. So let's transition this over to the running back position, and for me at the top, Reese Hall's one, Kent Walker's two. They're to me in their own tier. Uh, for me, I have James Cook at number three, Rashad White. Uh, four, Damian Pierce, five. I really struggle with six, seven, and eight, to be honest with you. Between I Right now I have it Brian Robinson, Zamir White, and Isaiah Spiller. I'm contemplating pushing Spiller to six just because I could see them wanting to take a little bit more wear and tear 
off of Austin Eckler just based on how much he's used in the past game. And so I could see Spiller getting more opportunity right off the bat. He doesn't have his good draft capital. We know Dapery draft capital is very dicey. Uh, so I have Robinson right now who does have the most draft capital. Then I had Demir White because of the Vegas situation with not picking up the fifth-year option to Josh Jacobs, but that's kind of a year away. And then Isaiah Spiller, uh, you know, I had at eight. I followed that up with Ty Davis Price at nine, who's really a tricky one to try to pencil in based on San Francisco, but he does have third-round draft capital. I had Tyler Algier uh, at 10 to Atlanta. He's a fifth round pick, but they don't really got much there. So that was a, that was a situation where the, it could be an opening earlier rather than later. I had eleven Hassan Haskins to Tennessee, twelve Pierre Strong Jr. to New to New England, who I'd have higher up, but they just kept drafting running backs, uh, and they have a stable of them on their roster already. Thirteen Jerome Ford, uh, fourteen Kyron Williams, fifteen Ty Chandler, and then rounded out. I'll just go to twenty. Uh, 16 was Snoop Connor, followed by Tyler Beatty at 17, Keontae Ingram at 18, Isaiah Pacheo at 19, and then Kevin Harris again to New England at 20. My take was I found it for me, I had I was comfortable with obviously Hall Walker at top. I I went cook and white because of their pass catching ability and what I think they're they're going to make an immediate impact in that regards. And I also think there's room for them to grow as runners, especially James Cook. Uh, I do think that Damian Pierce at five was an easy decision for me. And I can understand somebody having him at four. I'm sure many people will have him at four ahead of Rashad White. Uh, but I, you know, I was a big Rashad White guy going into this. He was fifth in my pre-draft rankings. He had better draft capital than Damian Pierce. Tampa Bay doesn't have a lot there in the backfield besides Fournette. So I, I kind of stuck there with Rashad White and his pass catch ability over Damian Pierce, but I kind of understand that. And then I already talked about six, seven, eight was really tricky for me. Ty Davis price was tricky. And then after that, like that whole Tyler Algier, you know, basically for me, 10 through like 18, I, I can really mix those guys up between Algier and Haskins and Ford and, and, and strong and, you know, I really like the landing spot of Keontae Ingram and, you know, and, and Snoop Connor Jaguars traded up for him. Do, do they envision a scenario that he works his way into a part of a committee day or with, you know, with, with Travis Ethian and then what happens with James Robinson at some point down the line, you know, Kyron Williams is kind of buried in that Rams depth chart, but you know, we know he's a really good pass catcher. So there's, there's a lot of intrigue there in that I kind of went with, opportunity at first and I didn't stick so much to my film analysis there. Uh but but I think it's really tricky there. Running back is a spot we're probably gonna change my ranks a lot. And you know, I could see me keeping the top five the same. But to me, like six through eight's gonna change a lot. And then like, you know, that nine through eighteen, I can see myself making a lot of changes. So love to kind of hear how you kind of group these guys together and, and a little bit of your thought process. Yeah, and I'll um I'll also kind of just like throw a couple tiers together too. So Hall and Walker are are at the top. I don't think that's um uh you know a hot take or anything. And but you know, I the more I think about it and the upside of James Cook, he's really knocking on the door um, you know, at 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 in into the tier of Kenneth Walker. Like I'm almost tempted to have Hall in his own tier and Kenneth Walker and, and James Cook together you know, and then pretty much 
you know, that's the first round running backs and, you know, don't touch, you know, go wide receivers for a while before then. Um, so, so cooks my, my three. And then um, I think I do have Damian Pierce there at four Rashad white at five and Isaiah Spiller up at six. And, and you're right that it, it's all close to me. Um, I, I like Leonard Fournette. I think he just resigned. It's, it's, I think a Leonard Fournette, Tom Brady show kind of thing. And when they go off, then, then we'll see Rashad white. Um, that's a prediction. I can be wrong. Right. That's why, that's why I still think Rashad white could be a really good player to invest in. Um, Damian Pierce, you just, you're just walking right into a ton of opportunity. It's not going to be pretty there in Houston, but, um, but I, I just, they've, they've let that entire room just be a series of sort of, the, the tires are bald. There's no tread left. And, and here we come, comes in this, this, you know, young kind of talented underutilized guy from Miami. Um, I stuck a little bit with my pre-draft ranks and put Isaiah Spiller in this tier with them. And I can't tell you, I'm not concerned with, you know, the plummeting draft capital all the way down, you know, midway through day three. But I think the landing spot saved him. Um, I really like, you know, his fit. I really like the opportunity there in, in Los Angeles and, well, I think the draft capital is unsettling and it tells you what the NFL thinks of him. I still think he's a talented individual, you know, maybe not worth that day two pick. I, I, you know, I can, you know, I could take that and say, okay, that's what the NFL is telling us, but you know, he could still be a really good committee back. Right. I don't think anyone's going to make him a, you know, a, a three down back, you know, with, with round five capital, but he, he can be a really good compliment to Eckler. And I think at that point, that's what he's going to be pigeonholed into but that's got a little bit of value there for um, for fantasy, at least with the the Chargers there. Um, so that that's kind of a couple breaks from there. Um, Brian Robinson is a player I really liked. I don't know what Washington's going to do with Gibson and McKissick and Robinson. So um, that's going to be muddied. It's the same thing with Ty Davis Price. I wasn't as big of a fan of him um, coming in, but you know, San Francisco went ahead and spent another third round pick on a running back. They may not use. I, I don't know. I, I do think he's a threat to Elijah Mitchell. I think this is sort of a, you know, your uh, Trey Sermon is on the outs. Um, and I, I think this is going to be the Shanahanigan situation where all those running backs just rotate throughout the season. And you're just not going to really know which one's going to be coming out on the top at the end of the year. And then, just one more opportunity to base one is Tyler Algier just again walking into Atlanta where you know it's Mike Davis and Cordero Patterson as the receiving back after that and and this is where I really want to pick your brain I have Zamir White as my number you know nine or eight nine or ten back down there with kind of Hassan Haskins and is it that I like Josh Jacobs too much. I know they didn't pick up his fifth year option. So is this them telegraphing that they're going to move to Zamir White in, in 2023? Um, for the time being, I just, I don't necessarily see, um, you know, with the draft capital, I don't really see, and his profile as, as sort of a one and two down runner, not a third down back with pass catching. I just don't know if I see the path there. So I really want you to challenge me there. Um, 
and then just maybe just rounded out a couple other names. Tyler Beatty. I really like Keontae Ingram's landing spot as well. He's at 13 for me. I put Isaiah Pacheco at 14 because, again, I think Kansas City has some weak spots to attack for a talented running back to maybe see some opportunity. Um, New England is a spot I did not like for landing spots. So Pierre Strong Jr. is there at 15, and Kevin Harris is down at 20. And then just rounding out the other names, Jerome Ford, Kyron Williams, Ty Chandler, and Snoop Connor. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the Zamir White thing is is twofold for me. Is First off, you know, Josh McDaniels, new regime. So I, I think that's one thing. They don't have much of an allegiance to Josh Jacobs. I, and I do think he's the best running back on the roster. And I think they will utilize him. But I think we've seen that Josh McDaniels from the Belichick system, and and I really do think McDaniels, for the most part, runs that offense. I don't think Belichick maybe helps a little bit in the game planning, but I, I think I think that's mostly been McDaniels there. And and we we see they want to use multiple backs, right? They want to have multiple, back, and it's not just they want to have one passing back. And you know they'll they'll use you know even last year, right? Ramondre Stevenson. Some games it was a Ramondre Stevenson game. Other game it was Damian Harris, right? So like I kind of envisioned like this year him being mixed in on early downs. And I do think we might see Josh Jacobs catch a little bit more on third downs because it is something he has in his repertoire. He had it at Alabama. So we'll see if Josh McDaniels gets that out of him a little bit. Maybe that was just something, you know, with the previous regime, not sure about that. I always thought his receiving capabilities was one of his strengths. So Josh McDaniels might see it that way as well and, and, and utilize him a little bit more there, open it up for somebody else to, to be a little bit more, of a part of the early down work or at times they might just put the early down work. I don't really think Zamir White's going to be much of a fantasy factor this year. And which is why the more I was talking and I even said to you, I, I think Isaiah Spiller at six is probably the right play. And then I think Brian Robinson, but the draft capital uh, is probably seven. And then probably Zamir White will be eight for me. But even that, right, Brian Robinson and Zamir White are not all that different, right? There's another guy there and, you know, the difference is, yeah, J.D. McKissick is also a, a big part of what Washington does. But I, I think both of those guys, it's kind of like Zamir White's more betting on, okay, it was a fourth-round pick. Teams don't deny the, the fifth-year option and then keep the players. It, it's very, very rarely. And the, and a running back fifth-year option isn't even that bad. So them not picking up that fifth-year option basically tells me they just don't want him on the roster whether McDaniels and them just want a fresh start and they don't even want to invest that much money in a running back, like usually running back 50 year options, like even Saquon Barkley, like, you know, with the issues he's had, there was never any hesitation that, you know, the Giants were going to pick up his 50 year option. Like, so I'm surprised. It's not like Josh Jacobs hasn't been a serviceable above average running back in the NFL. So I'm surprised they wouldn't have used him for that 50 year and then let him go. So to me, I, I think the writing's on the wall that he's gone. So that's probably, but again, we see this all the time. I mean, look how excited people got at Michael Carter, and then when, and now Bree Tall's there, right? And look how pe- excited people got about James Robinson. So as a fourth round pick, like the truth of the matter is, who knows what they do next offseason, right? Like the odds that Tamir White is even the lead back next year, even if we say definitively that Josh Jacobs is 100% off the roster, it is a stretch. And, and this running back class is filled and littered with question marks. The truth of the matter is this dynasty, these rookie drafts that are about to take place sooner rather than later, starting now and, and going for the next couple of months, it's as bad a, a rookie draft as I remember it. The landing spots are atrocious for so many players. 
Uh, there's so much uncertainty, even at the wide receivers. Like there's no guy that like you, you look at and be like, oh, great quarterback, great fit, perfect spot, everything. And then the ones that did go to the perfect quarterbacks, you know, are really under unproven guys who played in small levels of competition. So we'll get there momentarily. So, yeah. So I, I think after the top and, and I think you're right. I think I'm too low on James Cook, actually, in terms of my overall big board. And we probably won't get into that tonight. But, you know, I have the, the running backs, Hall and Walker, at top. And then I have all these wide receivers. And then I have James Cook at 11. But I don't really feel like the, the drop-off from Kenneth Walker to James Cook is that stark. So I, I struggle with maybe I, I should bump him over a couple of receivers. But, you know, that's a different conversation. But, yeah, the Zamir White thing, I, I just think it's – I think the writing's on the wall for Josh Jacobs to be out of there, but I do agree with you now. The more I'm thinking about it is I think Spiller has to be over Robinson and Zemir White, even though he had a little bit less draft capital. But on the flip side, I do understand somebody's train of thought saying the Chargers draft the running back on day three every year. We get excited. We think he's going to have an integral role and, and finally spell Austin Eckler. I think the reason why we're going to get a little bit more excited about this is on in terms of his college, we like Isaiah Spiller personally more because he's been a Debbie guy for years more than the other guys they've taken. But is it really all that different than the the host of running backs that have came through there over the last X amount of years? Every year, does a day three, round four, round five guy we get excited for and they never pan out? Yeah. And I mean, I don't think there's, you know, we're, we're kind of quibbling between like which guy is a little bit above the other guy. I mean, the answer is probably none of them. Yep. <laughs> and I think that's what you're getting at. And, and that's something to keep in mind before over-investing, right? Um, you know, the other thing when it comes to, you know, Zumir White, and, you know, I think you're right. I was a little shocked that they didn't pick up Josh Jacobs' fifth-year option with as well as he has played for them. And um, it, it is a telegraph that, you know, you're right. Like, I just, maybe he's not there. Um, but even then, you know, the one thing that I'm seeing, and the, and I think the reason that I had Samir White behind, for, for example, Ty Davis Price, is just the upside, right? I mean, I'm not necessarily going to bet that Ty Davis Price is going to take over, you know, that backfield. But with, with San Francisco, you really don't know. Like, I, I really don't know what they were doing taking him in the third round. But that telegraphs some level of discomfort with Elijah Mitchell being the only guy there, right? I, I don't know. And so if that were to happen, the upside of Ty Davis price is going to be much more significant than, than Zamir White. And so I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to make the same mistake last year and, and think I know what's going to happen in that backfield, ignore the lesser pieces because, you know, Elijah Mitchell was that upside. He hit and it's that upside. It might be him again. That that would be my bet, but you might want to hedge your bet with Ty Davis Price. And the truth of the matter is people are going to be very gun-shy about it this year for two reasons. One, because of what happened last year with Trey Sermon. Two, because Elijah Mitchell did play so well. And three, Ty Davis Price is not a guy who people really have liked much in the pre-draft process. He was kind of a late bloomer. He he wasn't a guy like Trey Sermon had its fans, right? And then he went to San Francisco and it was like a, a convergence of so many things that people got excited about. Now on the flip side, people are hesitant because of the, the Sermon debacle last year. And because they don't like Ty Davis price, it might end up being that he's one of the better values. Because I guarantee you, if we scoured the internet right now for some dynasty rookie rankings. So you had Ty Davis price, correct me if I'm wrong, an eight. Is that what I heard? 
Yeah, I think it was. Um, and then Demir White at nine was that? Was uh, that? Got to go think, check. I think it was like. Yeah, I think it was. Um, because the, the was, six, the top six, the top six are the guys that we talked about pretty clearly, and then yeah. I think you, I think you said you had Brian Robinson ahead of Ty Davis Price, but then I think Ty the Davis one Price, thing that I think I had Tyler Algier in there Algier, so maybe you because have... of the opportunity, but I think as we talk about it, you know, I, I think he'll probably fall behind both Ty Davis Price and uh, Zamir White. Yeah, and even and even that, but I'm but I my guess is if we kind of looked out there. In the ether, I bet you're. I bet right now you're seeing a lot of people have Ty Davis price at like 15. You know what I mean? Just because they're so gun shy of of last year, and he actually might become a value, right? As much as we are, who knows? With that, I think he might be a guy that actually gets pushed down even further for other guys that maybe people liked more in the pre-draft process, whether it was Pierre Strong, whether it was Tyler Algier, like I think more people might actually have Ty Davis Price even further buried because of that. He might actually end up being value in, in some of these early drafts, especially before we get kind of any clarity, maybe, you know, not that even training camp in preseason might not give us clarity as we saw last year with week one. But uh, I, I do think he might even be further down people's list because of the hesitance of last year. So it's going to be interesting. We, it's, it, to be honest with you, I don't remember a class this few. Like, yeah, we got Hall and Walker. You know, I'm intrigued a little bit with Damian Pierce because it's a landing spot. But even then, I don't think he's ever going to be more than part of a committee that Houston will eventually will get somebody else to kind of pair with him in best case scenario. Uh, and then, you know, James Cook or Rashad White, they're not, they're guys that are kind of specialized players that could maybe steal some more of the work in the run game and depending on how much they steal, well, then that can impact maybe how high their value can go at some point, but those are big, big unknowns. So not even a really Damian good Pierce, Yeah. Even if Damian Pierce has yeah. a good year, we, we said it with Michael Carter, fourth round draft capital. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's Brees Hall, it's Kenneth Walker and it's James Cook. And then it's just be cognizant that it's, kind of dark and that's kind of why i was willing to maybe go for who had some opportunity this year yeah makes maybe sense. you get 10 games out of somebody and then you know and and that's maybe a third round pick and i'd be okay with that yeah so i i think i think that's a pretty smart approach to take uh before we go to the wire series let's just do tight ends and knock it out real quick because it's so uh it, it's not much to get excited about here my tight end rankings start with number one greg dulcich went to denver uh, obviously, he had the bet most draft capital besides Trey McBride, but but Albert Okawebenam's there, and people were really excited about him. So, you know, what to make of that? And then I have number two, Trey McBride. He went to Arizona. He he, you know, he was late second with good draft capital, but they just gave Zach Ertz a three year extension. Even if we say that third year was kind of a, a year, not going to ever see that year. I, I have a hard time thinking he's not there starting tight end for the next two years. He played really well once he got there. And, you know, so those are my one, two Jelani Woods, who's probably the rawest of the top guys, but might step into the best opportunity in Indianapolis. So if somebody wants to have him at one, I get it. Uh, Jeremy Ruckert, who, you know, is my tight end one goes to the jets and it's hard to be excited about that. They have a bunch of these young wide receivers and then they just signed two guys to free agent contracts and they weren't like one year deals. They, you know, they're, they're going to be there a while. So like Ruckert is a guy that didn't have, didn't come with like this great pedigree in terms of his pass catching ability. 
you know, they went out there and, and made two moves. They got Uzuma and, and I believe Conklin. So like you're talking about, you know, he's going to be third this whole year. I don't see a scenario where he's not the third tight end all year, which means no production, barely any playing time. Uh, so you're just kind of stashing him. K. Dodden is my fifth guy to Tampa Bay. I'm assuming they bring back Gronk. So he's not going to play too much this year. Uh, I'm I'm really intrigued, actually, and he might even move up a spot or two. Is the the Chig Akaguanko, uh, who went to Tennessee, who was the basically he played like move tight end slot H back for for Maryland, and you know Tennessee over the years has always had somebody that's really been good in that role. You know whether it was first Delaney Walker and then Jonu Smith. So maybe I'm sleeping a little bit on Conquo when I got to get him up a little bit. And then I round out my top 10 with number seven, Daniel Bellinger. You know, where the Giants are hoping that that athleticism that he showed at the combine maybe can translate that being a better pass catcher. I think he's very much ticketed for like the Dawson Knox role. He was a guy, Dawson Knox wasn't used much in, in terms of his collegiate career because of the weapons they had there. Same thing, uh, you know, Dan, Daniel Bellinger's offense kind of was more of a run-based offense at San Diego State. Uh, but Bellinger has a lot of untapped upside and athleticism, kind of like Dawson Knox did. The Bills guys who went to New York, I think, see a lot of that similarities in Bellinger, but that's, that's it's kind of a, a ways away. Uh, Charlie Kolar, I like a player, but he went to Baltimore and you know, he's gonna sit behind Mark Andrews. And then number nine, Cole Turner, uh, you know, went to Washington. We'll see. Logan Thomas is, is, is a good tight end. And then number 10, I rounded out with Isaiah Likely, who also went to Baltimore. So now I have two Baltimore guys in my top 10, but they have the best, arguably one of the best tight ends, if not the best fancy tight end in Mark Andrews. And then after that, it was just late round, you know, stashes. I'm Obviously, I'm intrigued by Grant Calcaterra. I always liked him. Uh, James Mitchell went to Detroit. Tegan Quinton, Quinton Torino went to Houston. After that, it's just a bunch of unknown guys. Uh I don't know if I'd feel comfortable drafting anybody before the third round. So maybe it's somebody that, that piques your interest based on where they went. Uh, but I'd kind of love to hear how maybe you rank the top of this board. I don't, I don't think it would, I expected to draft any of these guys before the third round, even going into the draft before we knew landing spots before we knew draft capital. So, you know, where we are now, like nothing of that changed. If anything, it, it just made everything a little bit more shaky. You know, for me, um, I think we have, the same tiers if I were to look back and forth. But, you know, for me, it's Trey McBride one, Jelani Woods two, Greg Dolchich Dolchich three. Um, You know, McBride, I was the one who sat, I I don't know if you could call it patiently, but I I, I sat as patiently as I could for, um, uh, you know, for uh, Dallas Goddard behind Zach Ertz over in Philly. And so, you know, let's just say best case scenario, that's what we see from Trey Rick, Trey McBride. So, um, again, same thing with like Malik Willis, just you're going to have to be patient. I don't think any of these tight ends come in, you know, and have year one, year two production anyways. So I'm willing to go ahead and, and not let that, you know, sort of, you know, older, you know, Zach Ertz, you know, block for a year to you know take me off of trey mcbride one especially with their their investment there jelani woods i i just like indy as a as a landing spot you know they like their athletic tight ends they try to want they want to try to work them in there um so i think there's just an opportunity there um to see what he can do and what he can become and then i am a big um uh albert oakland wigman fan so for greg dolchich i just I'm not really sure I see him overtaking Albert O. 
Um, and then if he's not going to take over, I'll, you know, take over that entire role. Then I just, I don't know how he's going to really, you know, be a fantasy option there. Um, and then a, another kind of a tear down, Kadon, he's a guy I really like. Um, and I think, again, it's one of those things where, you know, a little bit of patience for Gronk and, and he might step into a pretty good role there. I really like your call on Unconquo. I, I toyed with putting him in, you know, even a top three, maybe. Um, just what a athletic player can do in that Titans, you know, position. And the, the fact that they don't have any pass catchers right now. I think it's Austin Hooper over there right now is, is sort of, and, and I don't think he's going to fit that role very well for very long. So he's my five. I'm intrigued. Um, record is my six. He's just packed in there with the rest of the, um, you know, the uh, middling Jets options that they signed this off season um, and behind some great wide receivers. And I do think Bellinger is really a name um, to, to keep in mind here because of, you know, the Giants shipping out Evan Ingram, you know, as a guy who, you know, wasn't known for the pass catching, but it wasn't just, it wasn't as much of, I mean, he had hands of stone. It was just, you know, it's, it's that big question mark of, we don't know, and maybe he can, and maybe he'll develop there. And then otherwise, you know, it's, again, it's worth, it's, it's worth a stab. I think there's at least players here that I'm willing to draft. Charlie Kalar, I like him. Cole Turner, Jake Ferguson. That's maybe one other name to keep in mind. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't. Good thing you said him because I completely don't have him on my list at all. Yeah, he's, so. <laughs> he's sitting at ten for me again. It, it's it's again similar to the um, Kate on the uh, the the Trey McBride, the the sort of the Daniel Bellinger kind of like you know let's let's see what he can do potentially there. They you know it was a commitment to. Um, Shorts, um, Dalton Shorts, and, um, uh, you know, and then they let go of uh, the other guy there, Blake Jarwin, you know, so he he has that opportunity to kind of like work his way into a role. So, you know, I I don't think we need to talk too much on these tight ends. Like I said, it's nothing super exciting, but, but players that, a couple players there that I'm willing to take a few dart throws at, you know, at the very ends of my draft, just to see if, any of them develop into, you know, a depth starter or a, a bench player. Yeah, I think that's good. And I'm glad you brought up Ferguson because when I posted my rankings before on Twitter, somebody caught my uh, absence of Khalil Shakir. And now you just caught my absence of Jake Ferguson. Yeah, I actually would put Ferguson at number eight for me uh, ahead of Kolar and Cole Turner, just at the opportunity that might exist there. Like to me, Mark Andrews, obviously well more established than Dalton Schultz. Uh, and Ferguson and Kolar pretty similar. So I think I think right around there, somewhere in that seven, eight, nine range, uh, with Bellinger, Ferguson, Kolar, they're they're pretty interchangeable there. Unless they're gonna play Mark Andrews a lot more as like a slot receiver, and then maybe Kolar there is a role there. Uh so that's something that that possibly uh could happen if that because I do like Kolar's game a lot. Uh it's just about opportunity. Uh you know, there, but yeah, these guys are mostly stash guys and, and, and see what happens. So let's transition this over to the wide receivers. Uh, I start the actually, yeah, I start at the top with Garrett Wilson, 
with the Jets, Jameis, who was my number one wide receiver pre-draft, Jamison Williams to Detroit, Traylon Burks to Tennessee, Drake London to Atlanta, Chris Olave to New Orleans. Uh, number six for me is Jahan Dotson to Washington. And then I have number seven, Sky Moore to Kansas City. Number eight, Christian Watson to Green Bay. Number nine, Wendell Robinson uh, to the Giants. Number 10, George Pickens to the Steelers. Number 11, Alec Pierce to the Colts. I'm going to stop there. I want to talk a few things. I want to hear your top 10 or 11. Uh, and then, you know, kind of run through what happens after that. For me, I'm having a very hard time, honestly, one through four. I think between now and when I do drafts, and this is where I was kind of saying before that uh, if I do drafts, I think it kind of puts my feet to the fire a little bit. Uh, and then when I don't do drafts, I think it's harder uh, to sometimes know what I would do in the moment. So I kind of stuck here a little bit. None of their landing spots are good. Like I understand in terms of opportunity, but we also don't want to base it too much though on first year opportunity, right? We see how dramatically things are changing in the NFL. None of them have established quarterbacks. None there's question marks up and down. No one have no one has a pristine offense in these top guys, these first round guys. There's legitimate uh there's legitimate questions for all six of these guys. And so I I did stick not a, exclusively to my talent evaluations. Uh, but in some cases I, I kind of reverted back to that. Uh, Gary Wilson was my number one and he was my favorite. So I kept him there. I think the jets opportunity is there. Yeah. Elijah Moore is there. Corey Davis is there, but they don't have a true alpha. I think that could be Garrett Wilson. Uh, Jamison Williams, I think is a guy who's an explosive player. So he's at number two. I think Detroit has big plans for him. They traded all the way up to go get him. Uh, Traylon Burks and Drake London. I liked Burks more before the draft. I know London might have the most opportunity year one, but I do have some reservations about Drake London. As I've made known, he was my number five receiver going into the pre-draft process. And I did put him ahead of Chris Olave because of his dress capital and his opportunity right off the bat. Uh, but I think Traylon Burks has equal opportunity right off the bat. Besides Robert Woods there, they don't have much. Woods is coming off an injury. You know, who knows what he's like? New, new team, new scheme. Uh, so I think Traylon Burks could just as much be in the mix to be you know, they're their number one wide receiver this year if they use him in a way where they don't ask him to be a precise route runner and just, you know, I, I'll assume Robert Woods is their number one this year, but that's a lot of assuming based on health and, and fitting in and, and stuff like that. Uh, but I think Bergson is going to get a lot of opportunity this year as well. And then Chris Olave will be number two, my guess is, to Mike Thomas this year. You know, how much do they let Jameis Winston throw the ball around? And then I struggle with Jahan Dotson and Sky Moore. Eventually reverted back to just my film eval, love Jahan Dotson, and he had the draft capital of pick 16. I couldn't put a guy who went like late second round, even though it's the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. He's coming from a small school. Obviously, he wasn't as beloved as we were led to believe that he could be a late one because we saw a lot of receivers go off the board before Sky Moore did. So I stuck to my film eval there, but then I did have Sky Moore and Christian Watson connected to two off great offenses and good quarterbacks. And then I went, went Wendell Robinson, who we know we've talked about a lot. He was my number seventh guy pre-draft. He has the best draft capital of, of those next guys. I think Brian Dable uh, is going to have a big role for him in a variety of ways. I think George Pickens is a little bit buried. I don't see a path to him becoming a top two option there anytime soon. And with how good I think Pat Fryermuth can become, 
and Najee Harris out of the backfield? Is he going to be like the fifth option for a while and then maybe have to work his way up there? Uh, I may even flip-flop George Pickens and Alec Pierce as well, even though I do truly love George Pickens' talent. So, Jeff, a lot is talked about there. Why don't you kind of run through your top 10, your thought process, and then we'll talk a little more. Yeah, and I think um, you, you've really segmented it well, and, and I have it the same way. These top five names, it's really hard to quibble and argue over it because I really like them all. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I still would take them, I think, in the order that I have them ranked here, but I kind of want exposure to everybody anyways. Um, and then, yeah, the six through 10 for me, we actually have the same names there, and, and I think it's, again, in a similar tier. So for me... My one is Drake London. I'm on the clock and and I have, you know, that decision to make Drake London or Kenneth Walker. And I'm extremely torn. You know, what I really like about London is, is, I, I mean, it, it is the opportunity. You mentioned it there, you know, and you, you might not want to overweigh opportunity year one. And I think there, there's some validity to that argument. You know, I personally wasn't as concerned about London as a prospect. You know, he, showed out when he was playing with both Michael Pittman and Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, he's, you know, he's been able to, to win the ball. I do think if he's got a gun shy quarterback who needs to see open before he throws, that might be a little bit of a, um, of a downtick for him. And there's going to be that uncertainty, but you know, he's, he's one Traylon Burks is two, you know, similar logic, you know, that opportunity. And, and I think one of the things that we see is the players who get targets and who get catches, you know, year one and grow into year two, those are the ones that seem to hit. It's, it's very rare to find prospects that, you know, are absent year one, you know, absent year two, and then start coming on in year three, right? Like, so you really want to see that production early. And I think maybe one of the things that lead to that is, is those opportunities, right? You said, don't want to overweight year one opportunity, but an opportunity you get on the NFL field is an opportunity to grow and, and get better and work on your craft. Right. Um, so I don't know, I might be think overthinking that, but those are the two things, um, that I consider most, um, Olave is my third, like I said, a day, uh, when we did our day one recap, I thought the landing spot was just perfect. It was, you know, perfect marriage in heaven. I think root running plays. I don't think he's got the same upside, but I think he's got an extremely, you know, safe prospect. So Olave's three, Garrett Wilson, four, Jamison Williams, five. You know, I'm a little bit, I think there's just a murkier outlook on those other two, but I get the talent's undeniable. Like I said, it's one through five, any way you want to take it. Um, I, I wouldn't have, you know, any qualms with it, whichever way you wanted to go. And I'm torn myself. I'd, I'd shuffle them on my own. I also did the Jahan Dotson over Sky Moore, and that was that was the same tricky one for me. And the one that got me was that we've heard rumblings from Washington that they don't want to pay Terry McLaurin, right? Like he's kind of on the trade block. And if that goes, you know, Jahan Dotson is a guy that could just soak up targets um, and, and just with his reliable hands and his, you know, his, you know, short area burst and quickness. So I do think he can be, you know, a go-to possession receiver. And so it, it is a little bit tricky when you see Terry McLaurin there, but, you know, we also thought, you know, Dotson would be a good fit in the slot, right? And so, you know, with McLaurin on the outside, I think if you throw Dotson in the slot, like I think you're going to have two really good receivers to throw the ball to. So he still has a good year one role. And then, 
yeah, Sky Moore, Christian Watson, they're back to back. I have them the same same order you do, you know, same thoughts as far as tied to great quarterbacks. Um, and day two or round two is still good capital. Um, I have George Pickens at nine, Wandale at 10. And Pickens is the same kind of argument for me as Jahan Dotson. You know, is this a sign that, you know, maybe Pittsburgh is willing to move on from Chase Claypool? They may not be quite as married to him. I, I don't know. I think it's going to be a crowded place. I may go Wandale Robinson, but, you know, we also see he's got a little bit of redundancy behind Kadarius Tony, right? And I don't know, that's one to pay attention to, to preseason. And I, you might have to make your picks before then, but um, but that that's going to be interesting to see how those ones play out. Both really talented players that I will think earn their way on the field but I don't know which one that I would pick first over the other. They're all really close to me. Yeah, and and the thing you said about guys who don't get an opportunity early, I think that's spot on. And I think that's probably my biggest concern about George Pickens because this is a guy who desperately needs to play, right? This is not a guy that had massive production at Georgia. And then the injury this year, he barely played. And, and my one concern is, is, you know, even if they decide at some point to move on from one of their guys they have, I'm not sure it's going to be this year. I don't even know if it's definitively going to be next year. They also drafted another guy later who I'm intrigued with, different style player, obviously. But like, it just seems like with a good tight end, pass catching tight end, a good pass catching running back, two really good receivers already on the roster. I'm a little nervous that he's the guy that we just don't see much from this year. You know, and, and that's going to be, does that then stunt his growth a little bit more? A guy who I love the talent and he needs to play. I, you know, I said he could be the best traditional X, Y receiver in this draft class, but it's not really a good landing spot for him when, when, in, in terms of what I think he needed, which was immediately play, right? If he went to Green Bay, you know, I would have been very intrigued right now. Or if he went to KC, I'd be very intrigued right now. Well, if the character concerns were a thing, though, I think Pittsburgh is a perfect spot with Mike Tomlin, right? So, you know, and again, you know, you do see that. You don't see that. they. You saw Juju kind of rub people the wrong way and leave. You saw, you know, Chase Claypool is in his own sort of maturity cyclone right now that he's working through. So it, it does work and it doesn't work sometimes. but. Um, but I think, I I think if there was a spot for him that I would want him to go for a player to like grow and mature, that'd probably be it. But you're right. I, you know, he, he's going to, I I think he can win snaps over Chase Claypool. I, I do. Um, but, but that isn't the easiest path. Yeah, and it's not like Claypool's old. You know, it's gonna be interesting with there. So let's rattle out, rattle off. You know, our next group here, and maybe some quick thoughts. I think this is a little bit more. You know, wait and see. Pick your poison. I do like Alec Pierce. I said I'm contemplating flipping him and George Pickens just because I do believe he can become a starter opposite Michael Pittman very quickly. Good athletic profile on film. I like George Pickens a lot more. So this is really wrestling with keeping the guy there who I like much more as a talent or go with the guy who has similar draft capital, but maybe a, a quicker path to opportunity. I have John Mechie at 12 to Houston. I think that besides Brandon Cooks, I think Mechie could step right in and be a starter this year. Uh, if he, if he, if health wise, he's, he's ready to go. I had Taekwon Thornton at 13. He has a lot of draft capital attached to him and new England needs receivers. So he, I think he's going to get an opportunity 
David Bell, I was really excited to see him get some round for redraft capital. Uh, if you were reading the tea leagues, it didn't sound like that was going to happen. So I'm really happy that it did. They're, they have an opportunity there. He could beat out Donovan Peoples-Jones sooner rather than later. I think he could even be a starter this year, potentially. So excited to see you know uh, him if he gets that opportunity. He might even move up a spot over Tyquan Thornton by the time I actually have to draft. Jalen Tobert at 15, he's going to get an opportunity to become the third wide receiver there in Dallas, I think, after uh, Gallup and obviously C.D. Lamb. Uh, Danny Gray in San Francisco. I like the talent. Uh, we'll, we'll see about Debo, but even if Debo stays, you know, he could easily become their third wide receiver there after Debo and Brandon Ayuk. Bailey Jones Jr., I, I know he's 25, but Chicago did make an investment in him early, early on uh, in the third round, and they don't have a lot there besides Darnell Mooney. So I think they're going to use him in a lot of different ways, similar to, I think, what the Giants' plans might be for Wendell Robinson. Uh, so I have Valus Jones Jr. there with the, that draft capital before I kind of round out my top 20 with Romeo Dobbs, who I do think could become a, a factor in that Green Bay offense. And then 19, Khalil Shakir, who I think could work his way to be a number three or number four there in Buffalo. And then Calvin Austin uh, went to Pittsburgh also. We talked about, obviously, the challenging depth chart there. So I think he's just very much a flyer. So, Jeff, why don't you run through whatever you have, 11 to 15, 11 to 20, whatever you want to share, uh, some quick thoughts, and we'll wrap it up for tonight. Yeah, and, you know, I like that you just mentioned Khalil Shakir because he's missing from my list and he'll have to, I'll have to scoot him up in there. Um, we have a, a lot of similar thoughts and at least guys in the similar range, but little flipped here or there, just to, depending on the way we're looking at it. So David Bell for me is at 11, John Mechie at 12, Alec Pierce at 13. And, you know, I think I had Alec Pierce up there and then David Bell, you know, one of the things I thought is like, well, if he's going to win, he's going to be sort of like a Jarvis Landry. Right. And it's just, I think pure irony that maybe if seeing him go to Cleveland, you know, after Landry left might be influenced me to be a little bit more rosy than I should be, but I, I do really like that fit. Um, you know, Pierce is somebody I have to get a little bit higher and I'm still not sure exactly how I think, you know, Houston's investment in Mechie, you know, says something. I, I'm curious to see how that one goes. He, he might be the one that gets bumped down there. Um, and then Bayless Jones Jr. at 14, Jalen Tolbert at 15. I have Kyle, Kyle Phillips at, at 16. Um, definitely see you on Bayless Jones Jr. They need to get you – know, Chicago wanted to get some playmakers there. I'm not really worried about the age. I just want to see does he do it or does he not in the first couple of years. And, you know, that'll be – you know, you'll know to move on or not. Kyle Phillips I thought was interesting and Tyquan Thornton at 17. And I think this might be a little bit um, – spicy uh, but you know i you know we saw and i i don't i don't want to compare Ty, i think taekwon thornton is better than than tutu atwell but you know just because there's some date like round two draft capital like that's not that doesn't want to be the only reason that i want to put somebody you know high up in my rankings and i'm just not sure that i see like i, I don't know that i've seen any path for you know fantasy value at wide receiver in New England after, you know, like Wallace Welker, right? And um, Julian Edelman left. Like after those guys, it, it's really been, I, you know, it's not even that they haven't, they've had bad players, right? Like I think they've brought in talented players there. And I just, I'm not exactly sure, you know, what about the team is keeping that 
from like breaking out. I don't think it's Mac Jones. I think it's part of how they run that offense. It's going to be very run heavy. I think they're going to, you know, have the same way that Belichick has different defensive schemes of attack. I think they'll have different offensive schemes and different players. I just don't know that I want to overinvest in just the draft capital of Tyquan Thornton. What I see with Kyle Phillips is an opportunity to be, you know, a potential, you know, a potential like short area, you know, relief valve target. You know, I know they're going to get scheme Traylon Burks open, but I also think Kyle Phillips is the one who's going to earn his way open as that kind of emergency release valve. I, I liked his, his short area play around the line of scrimmage and then just round it out. Danny Gray, Romeo dubs, Calvin Austin, Bo Melton. And I think Khalil Shakir is going to be kind of up there in that, you know, somewhere between Alec Pierce and Kyle Phillips kind of range. Yeah. I think, I think, listen, I think these guys, I, I could see myself moving Vila Jones up a spot or two, maybe ahead of Danny Gray or, Jalen Tolbert, I can see myself flip-flopping Pickens and Alec Pierce, like I said. I think, you know, you know, I think there's a lot of little small movements there, but I think these are going to be the guys that are making up a lot of, like, your third round, late second to third round draft. You're going to see a lot of these guys go off the board, uh, probably that mixed in with some of those tight ends as well. And I think it's hard to do an overall big board right now. It's like, where do you slide those tight ends in? Do you slide them in over some of these receivers? Below some of these receivers, I think it's a little bit, a little bit of a tricky spot to kind of see where uh, to slide these in. We know how hard it is for tight ends to, to make some noise uh, at the next level, and I think that's you know an interesting one. I think overall big boards, I think very much related to your league settings, what currently is on your roster. You know, I think there's a lot that goes into making the overall big board. Obviously, it's something that. We have in the draft projections notebook. We'll constantly be updating it. Uh, it is still not too late to get access to all of our rankings. Uh, we will be updating them regularly throughout. I'll probably open this every single day and update my Dynasty Rookie rankings. It's just like I'll switch this, I'll switch that. Uh, if you're someone that has them, keep looking back and 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 checking it out. So there it is. Initial, initial being the keyword there. Uh, look at our Dynasty Rookie rankings. You know about. 24 to 36 hours since the draft concluded. Uh, Jeff, any final parting thoughts before we call it a night? No, it's been a long weekend. I think we all deserve some some good rest here. Absolutely. So on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>